And one of the most surreal moments of my political life happened to me late at night in a field surrounded by people much younger and far more stylish than me. I realised something as the crowd at Glastonbury's silent disco began to sing Oh Jeremy Corbyn Oh Jeremy Corbyn I realised it's actually better to be loved than to be feared. And Jeremy has shown us that it's possible. Thank you, Jeremy. Welcome to The Popular Show. I'm James A. Smith, and my co-host today is David Slavik. Are you well, David? I'm great. We are uh, here in Newfoundland. It's stopped raining after seven days, and uh, we're doing what we can. The rainbow's out. The dove's arrived. The branch is in your hands. Exactly. We're, we're really privileged uh, on this show today to be joined by Carrie Murphy, who uh, has been a nurse, a trade unionist, briefly uh, candidate for the Labour Party uh, and most significantly was Jeremy Corbyn's chief of staff from the start of 2016 uh, until uh, Labour's defeat in the 2019 election uh, and um, you don't give a, a lot of interviews Carrie so we're really really privileged to uh, have you on board to speak to us. Uh, how, how are you? I'm good, thank you. It's uh, kind of you to ask me, and yes, uh, I don't do a lot of in interviews, so uh, you have to treat me kindly. There isn't a softer room I don't, on the internet, I think. For you, <laughs> for you not for anyone else. <laughs> you know, I wanted to ask you about what it was like, the energy, what the feeling sort of on the ground and, and what the sort of, you know, behind this means. What you, what you can answer, of course, you know, everybody's, everybody in politics is, has their own little things that they have to keep quieter or, or a little closer to the chest. But what was it like? And, and for me as an American looking at 2017 seemed like such a, a promising time and everything was sort of building up again. Well, firstly, let me start by saying that um, I will try and be as honest as I, I can be. If there's anything that's confidential or, or I feel is, is private, then I'll, you know, I'll just gently skip past it. But um, let me split the answer into two parts, because I'll tell you what I felt the build up to the election was like and what the campaign was like. And then I'll tell you what you know I felt towards the, the end of the campaign, because, of course, it, it was full of mixed emotions. Um, we had a very, very clear vision, which I think makes any campaign easier uh, to play out. We had a huge membership of, of mostly young people, very enthusiastic uh, believers, and not, not just in Corbyn, but in actually the policies and the manifesto itself. And on that basis, we felt we could take that right across the whole country. There was nowhere that was out of bounds for us. 
we felt the need to um, transform the whole country, not to go and give transactions to any one group or, or the other. But we presented, you know, a huge, uh, bold, radical manifesto for change, and it was very, very popular, irrespective of what the media were saying, irrespective of what the establishment uh, were saying. We could sense on the ground and in amongst our communities that what, what we wanted to do for the country was actually very, very popular. And on that basis, it was a very confident campaign. And of course, we started the campaign, you know, 20 points behind. And there was this perception that, you know, Jeremy would be wiped out and that would be the end of, of socialism. So when it didn't happen, of course, uh, some of us were more confident than others, and you know I'm on record as saying that I believe wholeheartedly that we could rushed with disappointment when that actually didn't happen. So in some ways, uh, yes, it was a satisfying campaign because it was enthusiastic, it was well managed, the messaging was honest. We had uh, progressive policies, we had an honest and authentic, you know, politician as our leader. Who had who had vision, and we had of course all the excitement of huge rallies in places where people had never been engaged with politics before. We had huge engagement. We had young people in booths. We had old people with homemade banners. You know, with children coming along to see uh, to see Jeremy, and those that those community-based campaigns uh, were very very popular. And I think the downside of that was that we had a uh, parliamentary Labour Party who some did not want Jeremy to win, some did not want Jeremy to be leader. Uh, and of course, we had uh, a bureaucracy within the party who sabotaged that campaign. Uh, and you know, that's a matter of uh, dispute, it's also a matter of some legal challenges. So I'll be slightly cautious in what I say uh, about that. But uh, we had trade unions solidly you know with us we had uh lots of support from from various people in the labor party but, but, but not you know it, it, i wouldn't say it too often um without you know losing focus but the reality was that a lot of the parliamentary labor party were not engaged in that campaign we also had the disgusting media and all the negative propaganda that went there jeremy was a huge threat to the establishment and it was quite clear from day one that a lot of people in the establishment were were very concerned about the possibility of uh, you know of a Corbyn victory. And we came within touching distance of getting to number ten. And I remain aggrieved that that didn't happen. And it didn't happen, I think, because of some of the forces within the Labour Party and you know some of the forces within the establishment. However, I reflect back on the period in 2017 when socialism was very popular and it was a, a very uh, bold manifesto put forward that looked to transform society, looked to transform, you know, 99% of the country would have benefited from, from that manifesto. So, yeah, very, very exciting, very hard work. Um, and ultimately, you know, heartbreaking that we didn't win that election. Uh, because look at the change that we could have made had we won that election. The significance of the 2017 election wasn't just local to Britain. I remember at the time, um, 
you know acquaintances from, from all around the world getting in touch and, and it seemed like all eyes were on the British left. Today in uh, accounts of Corbynism and accounts of, of politics in, in the last uh, six years and also kind of accounts of like the, the fate of left-leaning or social democratic parties in, in Britain in general. The, the 2017 election increasingly seems to be kind of erased from the record and it, it's a kind of um, puzzling question really how we can like keep that sort of moment of possibility and the fact that we defined so many people's expectations um, alive. How would you want people to remember the 2017 election and also how would you like it to be thought of by you know people outside Britain? Well firstly I would like it to be uh, remembered honestly. Uh, I think people should reflect on the facts rather than the propaganda. You know again I, I hear um, People from the past, you know, the right wing of the Labour Party, people in the House of Lords, uh, you know, people in the media, um, spouting forth a lot of absolute nonsense about the reality of the 2017 election. At the time, uh, the Labour Party had the largest social socialist membership in the whole of Europe. And, you know, we tend to talk about socialism rather than, than Corbynism, but of course we, we should give Jeremy a lot of the credit for that. The vote share in 2017 was almost 13 million votes, you know, 40%. Jeremy increased the, the Labour vote share more than any other leader since 1945 with a manifesto that was hugely popular, which proves that socialism can work. So I would ask people to disregard the negative right-wing headlines and look at the facts. Remember what it felt like to get out and campaign for a leader who told the truth, who believed you know, what he said, who had a clear vision for change. It was a radical, progressive manifesto. There were bold policies that benefited workers and communities. Common sense policies, you know, not, not mad policies, but common sense policies like corporations paying their taxes, um, you know, stopping tax avoidance, you know, things like that. You know, taking services into, you know, back into public ownership, supporting the NHS. There is nothing mad uh, or or left wing crazy about about these policies. So I would ask people not to suck up the propaganda. And you're right. There was a time when you know European socialists were looking to Britain to see how how this played out. The Demis in Spain and Syriza in Greece and Socialist Party in Portugal. And I would ask comrades across Europe to remember what it felt like when, you know, people believed it just might happen. And the one thing you need in any battle is confidence and belief. So if if people remember accurately, it's presented by the independent media truthfully. It's it's magnified and amplified by people who were involved and by socialists across Europe. There will be opportunities again. You know, there absolutely will. The young people who supported Jeremy Corbyn are 22, 23, 24 year old. You know, I'm much older, clearly. But these young people will have another opportunity at this. So I would ask socialists to be confident in their beliefs and remember what is accurate and honest and organise and learn the lessons from the past so that when that opportunity comes again, we will have a coalition across Europe to make that change.
So you'd expect that um, you'd expect that the political class, the establishment, uh, the right of the Labour Party would want people to forget about the possibility of 2017 in Britain. But actually, there's a kind of fatalism on the left as well at times. Like we we look back and think, oh, you know, it, it was too. Uh, everything was sort of set against us too much. The circumstances were, were too hard to overcome. We could never have done it ultimately. The same sort of thing gets said about Bernie Sanders. But actually, it, it, it could have happened. And it's quite important that we keep that in sight. I think that the way in which that fatalism like, most prominently comes out in the way in which the left talks about um, the, the Corbyn experiment now is around Brexit. Uh, Brexit gets talked about as this kind of impossible, um, uh, uh, like double bind for the Labour Party and the left, and of course it, it was that. But it also, I think, gave a, gave us our opportunity. And I, I tend to think that the 2017 election result couldn't have happened without that kind of expanding of possibility and expanding of politicisation and political political engagement that followed the 2016 referendum. You um, were one of the voices that were most kind of strident, as I understand it, in pressing um, the Labour leadership to retain the um, the commitment to seeing Brexit through, um, which ultimately was the argument that, that lost and, and left us with a, a much more pro-Remain policy by 2019. How do you look at the kind of Brexit problem now? Um, and how do you think that we should most productively look back on it in order to understand how we are to move forward? Okay, if I can just go back to something you, you said a minute ago before I come on to Brexit, which is to say, yes, there is a perception that, you know, uh, everything was stacked against us, that the left never, never will get a, a fair opportunity, therefore, you know, everything's horrendous and you know, we should all just pack up and go home. And I don't believe that for a minute. You know, I, I absolutely don't. Nor do I think uh, younger people believe that. You know, people now are way more informed. Workers are so much more uh, organised uh, as a consequence of, of Jeremy. People actually believe that change can happen. So I don't I don't think that the left are licking its wounds and, and won't rise again. I, I genuinely don't believe that. And I do think that circumstances, and particularly the circumstances around Brexit, were so challenging. And of course, that led uh, to the left being damaged. You know, it left to, to Jeremy's leadership being damaged. So you, you can't dismiss it. But um, I think people are way less likely now just to suck up what the establishment tell you uh, and accept their lot. I, I think people are way more radical in their in their beliefs because of. Um, things like the internet and the truth being out there and, and people can organise in, in different ways and you know organised labour is stronger in, in my view. Um, I think there will be another opportunity but in particular in relation to Brexit um, I've got this reputation of being one of those people who argued with Jeremy constantly you know that we needed to respect the referendum and actually, the facts are a wee, are a wee bit different. I, I absolutely believed that we should respect the referendum. But I didn't make it my business as chief of staff to lobby Jeremy. And I certainly didn't lobby Jeremy on behalf of anyone else. I waited for Jeremy to make decisions. And then as chief of staff, I tried uh, to implement that, that strategy. 
but, but clearly, you know, I, I had my own personal views, which we, we discussed as a, as a team. Um, if you go back to the beginning of Brexit, I mean, the Brexit road had many twists and turns. Initially, post uh, the referendum, we were all in, in shock. We genuinely campaigned to remain in reform. Jeremy did more for that campaign than any other established Labour figure, irrespective of, again, the bad press that he got and you know, the downright lies that are told by the so-called leaders of, of that campaign. Jeremy did more visits, more interviews, and certainly drove his agenda you know, harder than, than the rest of the, the campaign put together, in my view. But when, you, when, we, lost, uh, when we lost the referendum, Jeremy was leader. And his priority at, at that point was to work with other European socialists to influence the deal in Europe as best we could to protect jobs, to protect workers. So this, this kind of like, you know, this left Brexit kind of emerged. And we did work very closely with the, with the European socialist parties to try and deliver on a, on a soft Brexit. And of course, the, um, the overarching objective for us was to avoid this no deal or indeed, uh, you know, hard Brexit that was was being promoted by some in the Tory party. Um, we did feel strongly that we should respect the referendum, and partly that was because, you know, we're we're a democracy, and the people had spoken, and we had a politician who was gaining traction all the time as being someone who had broken the mould, who didn't refer to polls before he answered a question or do everything in his power not to answer a question. You know, we had an authentic person that people engaged with and people, you know, were starting to build a, a relationship with. And, and we felt it was really important for Jeremy not to lose, you know, that credibility. It is quite unique uh, in British politics. I'm sure it's quite unique in European politics and indeed American politics for people to actually say what they believe and Jeremy had that reputation, so I felt it was really important for Jeremy to retain that um, that integrity. And of course, what happens over over the piece is that you had uh, the people's vote emerged. Uh, Sir Keir Starmer was uh, clearly pushing very hard for Labour to become a heavy main party, and you know it's unfair for me to um, identify Keir. In isolation, because a lot of people, you know, went went along with that. I increasingly got concerned that was that a genuine policy position, or was that uh, a campaign tactic by people who were quite ambitious uh, to either lead the Labour Party or indeed to destroy the, the Labour Party leader? Uh, and obviously, that was was Jeremy at, at the time. Now. I think where uh, where things became very challenging for us internally was when people in our, our tight knit team and as a group of socialists we were, you know, all comrades. We were very close. We had worked together very well through very very trying times uh, in the Labour Party, and all of a sudden we started to have different points of view or different beliefs on where the Labour Party should sit in relation to Brexit. And yes, you're you're right to say that I felt strongly, as did some other close comrades, that we needed to respect uh, what we were being told by members out with London, respect what we were being told mm -hmm. by friends and family, uh, 
in post-industrial areas, you know, out, again up north and out with London. What were we being told? What we were being told by our trade union comrades who who were representing members all up and down the country. We had internal polling, uh, which showed us a clear pathway to number ten, but only if we didn't betray the people in the north. So yes, I was I was committed to that. Incidentally, as was Jeremy Corbyn, and you know the circumstances and. Some of the tricks that were played out in, in Westminster made it almost impossible for Jeremy to hold the position that he had adopted post the referendum, which was to respect uh, the outcome of, of the referendum. So you do you reflect back on these things and you ask, well, what did we do? What did we do wrong? Clearly, strange alliances, you know, sprang up. Uh, we had. Uh, Members of our shadow cabinet, you know, meeting with the right wing of the Labour Party. We had people like John, you know, a friend and a comrade, uh, having private meetings with Alistair Campbell or the People's Vote or you know whatever. Personally, with at that time, I felt that John's um, move in that direction was more about trying to prevent a split in the Labour Party because, of course, we were being threatened all the time that a hundred and Odd MPs were going to leave and set up their own party, and you know the, the last thing we wanted was a, a split in, in the Labour Party. We knew an election would come; we didn't know when, but we knew it would come. So I, I think different people at different times started to peel off, and then of course you had individuals who were speaking on behalf of 650,000 members of the Labour Party. You know, Jeremy, your members think that, or your members, you know, think the next thing. I personally rejected that. I felt that what Jeremy needed to do was tell his members what he wanted. I believe that the members wanted a socialist prime minister more than they wanted to leave her to remain. So, you know, it was a twist and turn of a, of a path. It, it wasn't a straightforward leap into remain. I think uh, Keir's role in it is not one that I, I respect, if, I, if I'm honest. Uh, you know, and I say that honestly because um, you know Keir knows my view. I, I think it was it lacked integrity. If I'm if I'm being direct with you, but that's for Keir to answer. My my own view was that people people adopted a position that was not about Brexit. It was more about uh, not having Jeremy as leader of the party, or or indeed. Um, Prime Minister. So, if I reflect and ask, you know, what, what do I think that we we did wrong? Uh, we had a divided team, which made it very difficult for Jeremy to take advice when he was getting conflicting advice. I think we had very clear polling that showed how we would get to number ten. I was clear about that pathway. I never saw an alternative, but we failed to take the argument to the membership, and we failed to take the argument to the people. Instead of that, we let it be played out in Westminster. We didn't have a clear narrative. Very often, the policy was difficult to convey. Very often, the message carriers were deliberately vague uh, or slightly dishonest in, in conveying the message. Um, you know, I don't want to criticise Jeremy. I'm fiercely loyal to Jeremy. Remains so. He's you know a, a wonderful comrade. But Jeremy has to take some responsibility for this. Um, you know, 
we failed to manage those people who who didn't display discipline in the shadow cabinet and we should have done and you know jeremy was advised to do that and i think if we had our time again jeremy will have learned lessons from from the mistakes that we made and you know fundamentally he was seen as an authentic politician a breath of fresh air who disappeared into westminster and changed his mind and that reputational damage is very very difficult to get back once you lose the trust of the people then you know it's almost impossible to get back you said that you, you sort of see a certain amount of cynicism in the, the behavior of people you'd expect it from um but why why were you and and Seamus Milne able to see like the nature the huge symbolic nature of Brexit whereas John McDonnell and, and Diane Abbott couldn't what why people who wanted the project to succeed just as much as you did why were they unable to like see the nature of this particular totemic issue well clearly you know John and Diane uh, will have their own views and you know I'm probably about to contradict that so that's a bit unfair they're not here you know to advance their own viewpoint but um I would, I would say this, I, I absolutely believe that John and Diane wanted the project uh, to succeed and probably hand in their heart, they felt at, at the time they were doing the right thing. And John T's credit come out the very next day after the general election and apologised and took responsibility and I think that was the right thing for, for John to do. He absolutely called it wrong. Uh, Diane felt very, very strongly that Jeremy's members would all you know, would all feel betrayed and all supported remain, therefore Jeremy had to be remain. And of course, when we put the motion, finally put the motion to conference in 2019, Jeremy's membership supported him. So I, I felt what the members wanted was clarity around what Jeremy felt was the right thing to do, because it was Jeremy that they trusted. But of course, by that point, the country, uh, and it's much more difficult to convey directly message into the country. So the country were confused. And then you had all the propaganda from the media misinterpreting what Jeremy actually believed. Now, for John, you know, I have said that I, I felt that um, other people felt there was a, a better route to number 10. That had never, ever been proven, never, in any of the debates, in any of the campaign meetings that we that we were in. And of course, you end up with people like John Tricker and, and Ian Lavery very, very frustrated about the lack of understanding uh, from within our strategy group for their communities. You know, people, MPs who, who didn't go up and down the country, people out, who didn't travel outside of uh, London, thinking that, that, you know, ordinary people were making decisions based on, uh, you know, immigration or or race you know whatever and i don't believe that you know i, I have lived outside london most of my life and i, I don't see uh, what some people's perceptions uh, of, of northern people i just don't see that as the truth so i can't answer for john and diane i can say that they possibly felt what they were doing was the right thing what i know is that uh both myself and Seamus in particular, and there were others, uh, you know, within in the group, Jeremy's political secretary, Amy Jackson and, and others. We had come from trade unions, we were very close to the trade unions, we listened to the left, the broader left outside of London. 
But we also engaged uh, with left MPs who we trusted, who represented their, these communities, where their, their constituents were telling them what they felt. We looked at the polling. We believed that you know, we could afford to lose 20,000 of Diane's uh, members in Hackney who, who wanted to vote with them because of, you know, because of Remain. Uh, but we couldn't afford to lose the seats, like Laura Smith's seats or Laura Pidcock's seats. Uh, you know, we, we knew that if that happened, we would not just lose these young, brilliant left women MPs, but we would lose the trust of these constituencies. And not only would we not win uh, post-industrial seats like we needed to do, we would lose the ones that we held. And you know, I take no. I really take no uh, no joy in being proven right on this. You know, it pains me enormously that we had the splits in our, our shadow cabinet. It pains me that we had splits in strategy. But I think that you know, perhaps some of the politicians shouldn't have listened to those those voices within the Labour Party, within the Whip's office, who were telling them how bad it was and how we needed to be a Remain Party, because their motives were not always honest. Whereas the people that I was listening to, from the trade unions and from the communities, from our community organisers, I felt were telling the truth because they were in touch with the people that they represented. Love laughs at a king Kings don't mean a thing On the street of dreams Dreams broken in two Can be made like new On the street of dreams Gold, silver and gold um, you, you, you. I mentioned earlier that if um, you had your time again and Jeremy had his time again, that um, you would not have compromised so much with other people in the party, uh, with the, the parliamentary Labour Party, the, the right of the party, and wouldn't be as afraid of splitting in the party. Um, do you feel like that lesson has been learned by the Labour left or by the wider movements? Um, and what what should that have, what should that confrontation have looked like, and how could it look in the future? Well, I think there's a difference between compromise and appeasement. That that's the first thing I, I would say. And you know, I think we should split uh, the elected representatives of the party and the party bureaucracy because it's, you know it is an important distinction to make. If you have a, a group of parliamentarians who are fundamentally opposed to your ideology, then I don't think you should appease uh, those individuals. Of course, you should always compromise. You know that's what what we do as socialists. You do it in every every workplace. But I don't think you should trust people who who put out public statements saying they wake up every morning thinking how to destroy you, you know, as, as some of them uh, some of them did. So that, that's one lesson about how you work with people and what the discipline of the Parliamentary Labour Party has got to look like and what the discipline of your shadow cabinet has got to look like. On the, 
on the bureaucracy, on, on the people who are who are paid to serve the leadership. Um, you know, our, our circumstances were different to, to Keir Starmer's. So Keir has come in and he looks to be very bold and very decisive. Um, you know, in some ways you've got to have some admiration for that. Of course, that admiration stops when it starts to impact on the democracy of the party, on freedom of speech, on respect for membership. So I'm not I'm not saying that I respect what's happening. What, what I am saying is I admire the decisiveness, the action that needs to be taken and how it, how it presents itself. You know, um, he moved very quickly to shore up his leadership. And I guess the lesson uh, for us, we should possibly have moved uh, much quicker to do that. Part of our challenge, of course, was we we didn't control the NEC for a long period of time, and you know we lost a lot of time. It, the cycle is is very quick when you're a leader, so you don't have years and years and years to do it. And that meant that we allowed people to stay in place in jobs who were actively and openly opposing the leadership, which was massively frustrating for some of the radical changes that we that we wanted uh, to undertake within within the party. Now, I uh, I didn't come in as Jeremy's chief of staff, so I was possibly you know six months in the in the job, uh, you know six months working for Jeremy, and then became chief of staff. I can't remember the exact dates, and it doesn't really matter because the broad principles remain the same. When I became chief of staff, Jeremy told me he wanted me to implement three things. He wanted uh, the party be to become a social movement reflecting you know, hundreds of thousands of new members who wanted to campaign all year round and be radical and involved within their communities, and not just people who once every blue moon went out and chapped doors and stuck leaflets through doors or whatever, and who were not an integral part of their communities. So the social movement was one part. The democracy in the party, Jeremy, wanted a completely overhaul. What had been for a long, long time a hollow, almost moribund, you know, set of CLPs of constituency labour parties, where you know half a dozen people turned up and you know didn't really engage in, in the party. So he wanted democracy restored to the Labour Party, and he wanted uh, socialist policies, a uh, socialist manifesto built from grassroots up that meant. All these new members could have a view on what our party stood for, and you know, I said to Jeremy, "Of course, I'm going to deliver that for you, Jeremy, as best I can." But I'm your chief of staff; I'm not the general secretary. That should have been the responsibility of the general secretary and the staff who are employed within the Labour Party. And it took us a long time to be able to have uh, in place a general secretary who actually trusted. Uh, what Jeremy was doing, who believed in what Jeremy was doing, and who wanted to work really hard to implement that change. And you know, by the time Jenny Formby was appointed, we had been battling for two years to get these three things in place uh, for Jeremy because we were, we, you know, we were being opposed by the NEC, we were being opposed by the staff and the senior staff in the Labour Party, and, and across many of the regions uh, as well. So once the new general secretary was in place, of course there was two or three things that are impossible to change now. Uh, but are, are, are again fairly unique sets of circumstances. You know, our general secretary developed life-threatening breast cancer. I, 
a disaster for Jenny and our, and our family, but a, a disaster for the project as well. We had um, a, a situation regarding racism, which uh, you know meant we were under pressure every single day from either the Parliamentary Labour Party, the media, you know, whatever. So we had a set of circumstances that were very, very challenging. And of course, um, under Keir's leadership, he's got uh, no challenge uh, to the party on how they manage racism. He doesn't have Brexit to manage. Uh, lots of these problems seem to have settled down for Keir. Um, so the circumstances were, were very different. What I would say, uh, when the left take back control of the leadership of the Labour Party and when the left take control of the party again, of course, uh, our experience will, will serve them well because, you know, we will be around to advise. Nobody particularly would reveal like that as individuals, but we absolutely want to give confidence to the comrades who, who come after us. The importance of having a party that works with the leadership and a parliamentary Labour Party that serves the leadership uh, is absolutely a, a priority for the left uh, in the future. We lost valuable time. We had election after election after election. It made it very difficult. Um, but we had all these hundreds of thousands of members who were desperate to be involved in community organising, for example. And we battled for two years for Jeremy as the leader to have the right to implement his own community organising unit. You know, people actively obstructed it. Um, to serve their own, to serve their own purpose and control their own areas, people who were in senior positions in the Labour Party who did not do their job, and you know that's for them to look at their own conscience. And um, what what I know from within the leader's office, when Jeremy asked us to do those three things as the leader, we went over and beyond our own roles to try and implement those changes. So, did we fail Keir's role back in all of them very very quickly? Uh, it wasn't wrong to do it. Just because it's no longer in place doesn't mean to say it was wrong to do it. What it means is, when you do it next time, do it faster, nail it down, and empower the membership to make sure that it can't just be eroded. Um, it, I cannot understand why Keir wouldn't see engagement with his members as being a positive. You know, I can't understand some of the moves to, you know, to shut down. Uh, conversation and debate at CLPs to sideline the left on the NEC to remove them from committees, you know, I think that's a, that will be probably Keir's fundamental failure uh, because people don't like parties that are not united and members will leave and, you know, that there's, I'm not completely sure about the, the percentage of, of members who have left the Labour Party. But I would think it's probably way above 50,000 members. And of course, that's not just about losing finance, although that's a huge part of it. That's losing the trust of people who are trade union members and losing the trust of people who are councillors and losing the trust of people who are school teachers and who are young activists and who are enthusiastic for politics. You lose all of that goodwill and energy and passion. And I think that's detrimental to any party and it's certainly detrimental to the Labour Party. Yeah, well, I mean, as you said, none of the um, none of the media scrutiny and hostility, uh, none of the internal hostility that Jeremy had, and yet is now polling below um, the the twenty nineteen results. So obviously, something 
structural has kicked in and actually it was only um, that kind of unique relationship between Jeremy and the members that kind of uh, kick-started the life support machine on the Labour Party uh, back in, in 2017. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, th those from the very start of Jeremy's tenure, there were various ways in which kind of succession was being discussed. And uh, I think before 2017, even very kind of committed core ministers such as myself didn't necessarily expect Jeremy to win a general election or to be the prime minister, but saw him as the agent who was going to kind of transform this like appalling neoliberal party and to make it a vehicle for the next left leader to to be able to um to, to be able to win uh and with a, a loyal party machine behind him or, or her the 2017 election kind of changed that and and we realized that actually jeremy like bernie had personal qualities that were probably inextricable from the alleged shortcomings um that's clearly been borne out with Keir Starmer, you know, people who are saying, if only we could have Jeremy's policies, but a slicker, more conventional uh, politician. Well, what we've seen is that a slicker, more conventional politician will abandon Jeremy's policies at the first um, opportunity and will fold under, you know, almost non-existent pressure. But um, I think that's also true of the of the younger left though I, I mean i think this is the case in both the kind of the success the successors to corbyn and the successors to to bernie in the states um as exciting and admirable as many of the individuals may be there is a there's a kind of way in which i'm i'm quite pessimistic really that that kind of stubbornness that can only come of decades of uh, marginalization that stubbornness just doesn't seem to be there that fight just doesn't seem to be there and also that clarity of purpose I, I feel like the squads and uh, the kind of younger members of the socialist campaign group the kind of equivalents in the Labour Party there's just a kind of lack of clarity of purpose and a, a kind of vulnerability to get caught up in whatever kind of NGO approved faddish social movement comes along um, and I, I mean it, it's great to hear you speaking confidently about when the left retakes the leadership and, and all the things that need to be learned from the failures of, of Corbynism but I don't know what, what's your assessment of the actual the people or formations that are that are kind of waiting in the wings Do, are you hopeful about the ability of the kind of successors of these left populist leaders that, that we've just had to kind of be able to enact left policies? Well, so that's a lot uh, for me to get through. Um, and I'm trying to remember a couple of things that you, you said, uh, just to kind of pass comment. You know, I think if I can go back to care um, just for a moment in terms of his own popularity, you know, I think a lot of members in, in the Labour Party did think that, you know, uh, this professional uh, person, you know, might be more effective or more successful as a leader. And unlike you, I did believe that Jeremy Corbyn would win the 2017 election, and I did believe that he would be a fabulous Prime Minister for all uh, the frustrations and flaws that any one person may have. 
I believed he, he could do that. So I, I didn't participate in conversations in 2017 to say, okay, when Jeremy gets beat, what do we do now? Um, I, I, there were such conversations, but I, I wouldn't participate in it because I had wholehearted belief in, in Jeremy's ability to get to number 10. However, we are where we are. Um, by the time we come to 2019, I, I think you know the, the party having felt bruised by what had happened in the, the, in the Brexit election, misunderstood what was actually wrong, and therefore looked for someone who the media would approve of or who the establishment would approve of. And indeed, they found that person, uh, the media and the establishment both approve of Keir Starmer. But for me, um, it was a bit like when Owen Smith stood uh, stood against Jeremy's leader. He he put it around, you know, vote for me and I'll deliver on Jeremy's policies because I'll be so much better at, at it. Well, you know, people laughed him out of town, uh, and rightly so. And Jeremy was is quite a unique politician, as is Bernie. Um, but what comes with that is is an integrity and an experience and a history. But you don't always need uh, the experience and the history. What you need is the integrity. So what I would say in relation to your squad, our squad, uh, you know, anybody looking at AOC has got to be enthused and, you know, um, impassioned to, to watch this young woman. And, and in Zara Sultana, we have got, you know, an AOC in, in, this, in this country. If I look at the likes of Richard Bergen and the Socialist Campaign Group, and there's there are so many in my in my view that you know I'm I'm not going to waste time going through all the names tonight. But if you look at the work that Ian Byrne does on the right to food, the fantastic community campaign that you know Ian has run, Dan Carton, you know such an intellect. Uh, Laura Pitcock is is out of Parliament, but I remember speaking to Laura Pitcock in 2019 about the future of the party because unfortunately by 2019. I knew Jeremy would, would, would lose that election. So I'm not uh, I'm not where you are. That I feel we don't have an, a leader coming. Bell, uh, you know, who's the secretary of the, the campaign group as well as social campaign group, phenomenal young black women. Um, there are a lot of people, and with the exception of one, all of the ones that I've mentioned are all out with, you know, the Westminster elite. So, you know, I hear you've got um Gavin Newsom and Stacey Abrams, people like that. I don't think you should be pessimistic either. But if you feel that these um, these American representatives lack a connection with their communities, or you feel that they lack boldness or bravery or progressive politics, I don't feel that with the Socialist Campaign Group in the main. Of course, there are one or two, and I'm not going to I'm not going to spotlight you know those individuals. It would be very rude to me and uncomradely. But do I feel that uh, I would have confidence in somebody like Richard Birkin coming forward or Zara? Now, Zara is very young, but what she lacks in years, she makes up with in bottle. You know, this is someone who is not afraid to speak her mind. And I guarantee you, in 10 years, that age will not be lost. You know, every generation comes along, people who are, are, are fairly unique. Uh, and I think Zara is. Absolutely, one for one for the future. As is Richard Bergen. Now, we supported Becky Long Bailey, of course, uh, as leader. Becky is a fantastic brain and a and a beautiful person, and she was a reluctant, you know, a candidate in some ways. But I think perhaps the time was was wrong for Becky. 
you know, people opted for someone, in my view, who was kind of masquerading and, you know, that's that's democracy. People have the right to make that decision. Um, I wish they hadn't, incidentally. But, you know, it's now that people can probably reassess that and a lot of people have changed their view. And certainly, you know, I would finish by saying this on in relation to care. Of course, we want care to do well. You know, he wrapped himself in the flag of a socialist and I think he should be honest to himself and stand by that. If care if Keir embraces those 10 uh, strands that he stood on as his campaign manifesto, then he could be the next prime minister. If he doesn't, then he won't win the next election. And I think he could do a lot better than, you know, returning the whip to Jeremy Corbyn. You know, I, I think that is outstanding. I think it's unnecessary. And I think it's one of the, re the main reasons why his polling has, has dipped. Uh, he may have felt it was the right thing to do at the time. I think it's the wrong thing to continue to do that. So I would ask for, for Keir to be brave. In relation to going forward, if Keir is not the leader, do I think we will have bold, radical, progressive leaders? Absolutely, we do. Absolutely. People are there. They're young. Um, although Rich is not quite that young. Uh, do I think there's an appetite and fire in the belly? I still believe there is. The left have been battered, but we've been battered many times before, and we are in a much stronger position now than we were in the 80s, you know, when I was a lot younger. The, the whole, the whole of the, you know, the whole of organised labour is left. It's just to what degree. And seven out of the 12 trade unions are solidly left, not just soft left, but solidly left. You know, that's a pretty strong concrete base for organising in this country. So I don't feel pessimistic at all about the future of the left. I feel somewhat frustrated about things that have happened. I'm annoyed about um, you know, decisions that have been taken. I think Keir has lent far too far into the past where there is no vision. Uh, there's no alternative coming forward. But you know, these people were runners, therefore he's, he's got to listen to them. I would, I would beseech Keir not to bother doing that and stay true to what he stood on when he stood for Labour leader. And if he does that, then Keir will be you know, the leader for a long time. And if he doesn't, then the left will have another shot at this. So let, let's just have a, you know, have one kind of uh, possible near future. Keir, I mean, we spoke, we spoke to Toby Young uh, on, on the show and he predicted that actually Boris Johnson will call an early election um, in order to kind of maintain this sort of, you know, COVID buoyancy that he currently has before some of the kind of real disastrous effects start to be felt. So let's imagine that happens. Keir Starmer um, loses that election and uh, there's there's a leadership election. Do you think the left are ready in the party? Do you think the left will win back the leadership? And if they do, do we have a plan other than uh, trying again with the old, you know, Benites, um, uh, uh kind of plan of trying to kind of bring in mandatory reselection? Is it just, is it back to the 2015 playbook or is is there something else you think we should be doing? The vast majority of the Labour Party memberships don't know what a Benite is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm a wee bit older than that, you know, I'm, sadly I've got to acknowledge that I do know what it means. Um, what I would say is this, first of all, I hate to have to agree with anything that Toby Young has said uh, so, but, but nonetheless I, I do think he's correct. Um, 
And if care doesn't unite the party, and that means building a coalition belief, the same as you know, the same as Biden did, bringing trade unions with them, bringing organised labour with them, then tragically for this country and for you know the people who need a labour government most, um, it won't be delivered. In advance of an election, um, I believe that there are uh, arrangements quite far advanced. Uh, arrangements have been made to rebuild the confidence in the, in the left. I hear, you know, I've got my ear to the ground. I hear that the, the big trade unions, the left trade unions, are organising. Uh, I can't give you an exclusive, unfortunately. It's not for, for me uh, to do that. That grouping will include the membership groups, uh, you know, Momentum, CLPD, Red Labour. Crucially, there is a grouping of independent media uh, coalitions that we didn't have back in 15 when we had the right wing media savaging us. We have gone some way to build up an alternative media now. Community organising groups, people who are on the left, who have got vision, who who have got you know a commitment to something. The right wing are bereft of ideas. There will be a left membership because although we've lost a lot of members, when when this organisation starts to emerge, which it would have done before now had it not been for, for COVID. So, you know, this will be happening pretty soon. Uh, I think that will recruit uh, new members to the Labour Party, and I think it will convert trade union members into members of, of the Labour Party. Left MPs will join us. You know, 40,000 people joined Jeremy's Peace and Justice Project overnight. Because people believe in Jeremy's politics, not just Corbynism. We don't call it Corbynism, we call it socialism. So I believe this new left, whether we call it a coalition or whatever, will emerge and left leadership will emerge from that. Now, it's not for me to dictate whether it will be Richard or you know Zara or whatever, whatever, but what I feel confident is there will be a socialist leader of the Labour Party. So I wouldn't say you know it will have a focus on mandatory selections, you know, all, a lot of these internal issues come later. What we need is a leader, not with a rule book, prepared to say, scrap that rule, you know, implement that rule. But a leader who's got genuine vision for the party and indeed for the country. And that's what delivers a socialist leader, not somebody who just wants to shake up South Side, do in the parliamentary Labour Party. Of course, we wanted to do a wee bit of that ourselves. I'm not, I'm not denying it. But I think it has to go, it has to be a much bolder agenda than just a Benny revolution for an internal Labour. Remember, Ben was one thing, fundamentally one thing. He was a socialist, and I believe he'll have a socialist leader. That's what we want. That's what we want to hear. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, I mean, I, it's it's very nice to to get that that sort of forward spell. You know, we, we as a, as American who was involved in the Bernie movement and sort of gone through these ebbs and flows of more of a left movement and then seeing it kind of get tracked back, you realize that this is a longer game, and because it really matters to people, you have to play a longer game. You have to be comfortable with that. It's not. 
just third way centrism where you're trying to get a win here and a win there on a certain policy or a tax break or you know some sort of levy this is about changing people's lives in a material way and being through this fight you can't it never stops i've been a member of the labor party a long long time um i've been a trade unionist you know all my all my, my working life and this is about transformation you know it's not just quick transactions uh and, and john you know a, a great thinker um put together uh, as part of our strategy group he put together a paper on transformation of society and you know i remember reading it and it's three sides of the a4 and it said everything that books upon books upon books have ever told me and that's what we need to go out and speak to people is clear messaging and ambition and belief you know confidence in working class people and of course, we currently need a leader of the left, uh, and that you know these people will emerge. I'm absolutely sure that that these people will emerge because what is the alternative? What is the alternative for us socialists? So yeah. there is no alternative. You you know you don't fight, you don't win, and of course the membership will will fight back. Kerry, it's an absolute pleasure to meet you, and uh, your, your your stridency, uh, your optimism, and, and your sense of the long game is infectious, even to uh, people who are maybe feeling uh, a little pessimistic at the moment. So, yeah, we can, we can't thank you enough for joining us and uh, and sharing your insights into this thing that's you know affected our lives so much in in the last half decade, not just in Britain, but in the left internationally thank you thank you i did need to ask and i'm i was a bit reluctant uh, if i'm honest james who persuaded me but um, <laughs> yeah i've enjoyed speaking to you thanks very much comrades poor nobody's poor long as love is sure